Yeah, that's great. I think uh, part of raising capital is figuring out how to add value to different families. Like, obviously, that was like just an exchange of business where that they appreciated the relationship, but. Sometimes we're able to introduce the son of one family to the son of another family that are both worth 50 or $100 million and are both coming into managing the family office. Uh, one time we're able to introduce a new client to a family. One time we're able to help a family buy an asset or look at an asset to buy. Sometimes it's a successful attorney. We're able to refer to them a couple of clients and then they're, they're happy to do something for us, including maybe investing. Um, and then one time when I moved to Arizona, I saw a retail business that had a subscription model, which I really liked. And so when I saw they had 17 locations, I said, well, you're probably raising capital every time you open a location. I have an investment structure so you don't get diluted as you raise capital and will protect your equity interest so you can continue to raise capital without, without getting diluted so much along the way. And there were two brothers running the business. I independently LinkedIn messaged both of them cold. and They both replied to me the same day. Turns out they had sold their business for over $100 million recently to a big bank and they were starting the platform over in another state. Uh, and that was a valuable relationship that ended up meeting with their board and keeping in touch with them over time. And then one of the larger families in Arizona, that was the first week I was in town there, uh, just by reaching out cold with a single sentence that said, hey, I could save you money or I can get you a client or I can structure something for you that's gonna be better than how you're probably structuring things now. And that got their attention. So it's related to uh, what Lynn was saying about adding trust, just to give some practical examples. You wanna be quick on communication. If someone asks for a financial model, you know, get it to them in one or two business days, not a week or two weeks or a month later. We had a billionaire we connected to a member of the family office club. They wanted to work with them. They just got deal fatigue because every time they sent me an email, it would take six to seven weeks to hear back. And at the end of six months, when uh, the billionaire said, okay, well, let's just, let's just move on from them. They said, oh, do you have any feedback for us? And I was like, well, I'm trying to say this the most polite way possible. I literally said to them in the email, but like you just never heard back from you guys for a month and a half at a time. So it doesn't, doesn't really seem like you guys are too interested in working together. And because there's gonna be a little bit of brain damage to figure out the right structure, with those two things combined, they're like, forget it. You know, we have other things that are going quickly and, and going well. So depending on the counterparty, they might not work with you at all if you're not good at communicating or quick. Um, we also have a comp uh, client that is worth over a billion dollars. It's taken uh, a company public, and they were able to take their company public by taking a cold call uh, from someone in another country. They had no idea that this person was going to be calling, and they took the call, were very uh, suspicious at the beginning, dug deeper, flew over there and met with them, and it turned out to be real, and they're able to take their company public through that relationship. So you never know who might reach out. It's impossible to call everyone back or answer every call coming in for sure. Uh, I would go out of business if we all answered our phones every time it rang, uh, typically. Uh, but something to try to be good at returning. Uh, also, treating investors well when things go poorly is what Lynn talked about a little bit. We had one of our doctor investors staying in one of our Airbnb properties, New Year's Eve, and a pipe broke. It just flooded the downstairs of uh, a property. The thing that really got us is that when we bought the house, we knew it had bad pipes that were known to break. So we gutted the whole house, redid all the pipes, and spent $12,000 doing that from the beginning So to prevent this from happening. But it wasn't a pipe that broke. It was a sewage reverse valve thing that you know, Lynn would probably know the name of that I don't know the exact name of uh, that, that broke. So it wasn't the pipes that were going to corrode. It was something else. But we treated the investor well. And that same night on New Year's Eve, I was on a run with my sister. And I told her, like, oh, the downstairs is flooded in a Park City property. That's great. Uh, so I texted my team and we got on it and we had the humidifiers in there, the plumber in the next morning and the property was back online 15 days later and the, we had to cut out the drywall, replace the flooring, but the investor was put up, we had to find a new place to put them up that was just a mile and a half away in Park City so they could move their family there and still enjoy New Year's Eve, same day, 
Obviously, it cost us more than having them stay at the Airbnb. We just took care of it in a minute. Obviously, it's not their fault the pipe broke and just put them in there and they were thankful for that. And being able to tell our investors like, hey, if you owned a property directly and a pipe broke, that's stress on you on New Year's Eve. You know, my team swallows that stress and takes care of that. And that's why it's a passive investment. Same with anyone who's in real estate, right? Or uh, helping manage a business. So just want to mention that because it's related to what Lynn said. So I was taking notes on that as he was talking. Appreciate that, Lynn, sharing all the uh, insights.